You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, so good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12. And, you know, last week as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew here now for a few months, we, we saw last week how Jesus said, I'm here to save the weaklings of the world. I'm here to save the spiritual failures, the non-impressive, uh, the people that are the generic off-brand, bottom shelf that no one wants. Not H-E-B brand. I mean like some brand you've never heard of, off-brand. Jesus says, those are the people I've come to save. And those are the people that will find my rest. Those are the people that will find my comfort and that will, will get my salvation. And he talk, he ends of Matthew 11 saying, take my yoke and learn from me for I'm gentle and, and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And now it transitions into Matthew 12 where the Pharisees and their yoke will be contrasted with Jesus and his yoke. With the, the harshness of the Pharisees, the brutality of the Pharisees, the religious serious of Jesus's day, scare quotes around serious, and then Jesus' gentleness and humility on display. This is what collides in, in Matthew 12. And if you're not familiar with the Gospel of Matthew or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there's a group that Jesus is constantly going toe-to-toe with because they're picking fights with him. And it's the Pharisees, the religious scholars, the serious ones of his day. And here's what we have to understand. For us, when we read accounts like we're about to read of Jesus and the Pharisees, we know, oh, Jesus is the good guy. These guys are the, are the wrong, the guy, these guys are wrong. We know that now, but we have to teleport ourselves as though we were the original audience here hearing and seeing Jesus and the Pharisees go toe to toe. Because the crowds listening, they don't know who's right. You gotta imagine this. Jesus right now, at this point in the gospel of Matthew, he is an upstart religious teacher. He's new, he's a new guy on the scene to them. He doesn't have rabbinical training. He, doesn't, he hasn't written any books that they know of. He's not a scholar to them. But here he comes up saying things like, you've heard these guys say, but I'm telling you. You've heard these guys twist my father's words. My father. And I'm telling you. So you have this upstart religious teacher battling with the religious scholars of their day. These guys are scribes. These guys are religious gurus. These guys have mountains of books. These guys teach in the synagogues. These guys are the pros. Jesus is the upstart. They don't know who to side with. They're trying to discover who's the one that's actually being biblical here, Jesus or the Pharisees. And that's the question that's gonna be put before us today. Will Jesus be our source for living the biblical life? Or will it be what other people say? Will it be my own intuition? Will it be what I think is true? Because the Pharisees go off their man-made interpretations. Jesus says, I'm here to give you the real biblical life. And that's what's gonna be put before us today in Matthew chapter 12. What truly is biblical indeed? So if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the words of Christ. And we'll begin in verse one, and it'll also be up on the screen. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath, the day of rest. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of grain. 
When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, see, your disciples are doing what's not lawful, biblical to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those who, for him to eat it, but only for the priests? Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. Then he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. And it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us now. We want, I, I hope we all want to be biblical. And so help us now, Lord, to not pursue biblical spirituality like the Pharisees, but to pursue it like Christ, your servant, whom you've chosen, who has been filled with your spirit, who proclaims good news to the poor, who sets captives free, who the nations put their hope in his name. May we all in this room now, King Jesus, put hope in your name. So meet us here, we ask, by your spirit and in your name, amen. You may be seated. The Pharisees ask a, a biblical question, a good question. Is it biblical? Is it biblical? This is something that... I think every legitimate God-seeking Christian should be asking, because here's why. You get advice all week. You get it in books, you get it in podcasts, you get it in YouTube, you get it in memes, you get it in Facebook share images, Instagram. You get advice from your parents, from your friends. You read Christian books, you listen to podcasts. And what we have to be filtering in is asking ourselves, is what I'm hearing biblical? This is what the Bereans do in Acts chapter 17. Even as the apostle Paul is teaching, they're checking it by the scriptures. That's what you should be doing. You should do that when I'm talking. Is this biblical, what this guy's saying? And as Jesus and his disciples are strolling through a grain field on the Sabbath, which is the day of rest, and his, his guys are hungry. And so they're ripping off the heads of grain, rubbing it in their hands and eating it. And the Pharisees, the religious serious, see this and wonder, 
Is that biblical? Is that biblical what they're doing? Is it lawful? It's a good question. But they're misguided in why they're asking it. So on the Sabbath, if you're, not, if you're not familiar with that, it's the day of rest. It's rooted back in the seven days of creation in Genesis. On the seventh day, God rested. It's commanded in the Ten Commandments to take that seventh day, the Sabbath, and to rest from work. And so do you see the theme? Last week, Jesus said what? I will give you rest. And now the day of rest is brought into picture. What does a day of rest look like? God commanded them, don't work. Find your hope and your trust in me. Uh, He's blessing them with a day to relax and to enjoy creation, to enjoy God's goodness. But by this time now in the gospel of Matthew, here's what's happened since we heard that command on Mount Sinai to now here we are in Matthew chapter 12. What's happened is the day of rest has become a day of anxiety. The day of rest has become a day of walking on eggshells because of the Pharisees. They began to teach, here's what it looks like to take a day of rest. You're not allowed to spit on the Sabbath. You have to spit in a rag. Can't spit on the ground. Why? You're watering the earth. You're working. You're not allowed to walk more than about half a mile from your house on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees, not in the Bible, according to the religious serious of Jesus' day. Because if you walk more than half a mile from your house, well, you got to walk back. You're going to break a sweat. You're working, breaking the Sabbath. If you're having people over at your house and you got to rearrange the furniture, you can't. You cannot move furniture on the Sabbath because what happens if you move furniture on a dirt floor? You're going to put grooves in that dirt floor and it's like you got a farming tool and you're getting ready to plant seeds. This is the insanity that the day of rest had become. So now people are wondering, am I breaking the Sabbath? Am I breaking the Sabbath? Am I breaking the Sabbath? And here are Jesus and his disciples. They're picking heads of grain to the Pharisees. They're harvesting. They're working. They're just hungry, feeding themselves. Jesus doesn't rebuke them, but the Pharisees jump on Jesus's case. You should have stopped them. They're not being biblical. Don't you care about God? That's what he says. Look look what happens in verse two. The Pharisees saw this and said, see, your disciples, you're in charge of them. You're failing them. They're doing what's not lawful, what's not biblical to do on the Sabbath. And do you see what Jesus' response was to these so-called Bible experts? What does Jesus say to them? I love this. What does Jesus say to the people who take the Bible seriously? Verse three, look at what Jesus says. He said to them, haven't you read That's an awesome response. These guys are punks. These guys think they're the Bible experts. And Jesus says, surely you've read the Bible, right? This is one of his common responses to Pharisees. Here's what Jesus is also saying to them subtly. You don't understand. You don't know how to read, do you? Because if you knew how to read, you would understand what's happening right here. And this is a word of caution to every single one of us who want to take the Bible seriously. We must learn to read and learn to live the Bible. Learn to read and learn to live. Because listen, a key to walking faithfully with Christ isn't just reading the Bible. The Pharisees show us this. A key to faithfully living with Christ isn't just reading the Bible, but reading the Bible rightly. See, the Pharisees, of course, they know this story that Jesus references. We're gonna see in a second. They know all of these things, but they have misinterpreted them. They haven't understood them. They've misapplied them. And so if you read the Bible, but you misinterpret, you misapply, you will cause great harm to yourself and others. 
So we got to learn to read the Bible rightly, to live it, and then to love God and love others. And Jesus pulls this line three, three times on the Pharisees. Look at it. Verse three, we just saw, but now look at verse five. Haven't you read in the law? And then down to verse seven, this is probably the most scathing one of all of them. If you had known what this means, you don't even understand what the prophet Hosea says. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Three times Jesus gives them this line. I thought you guys knew the Bible. You guys don't get it. Haven't you read this story? Of course they have. But they don't see how it works. And by, notice, he, he quotes a story from David from the writings, the Jewish writings. He quotes something from the law, and then he quotes something from the prophets. And by, by alluding to the law, the prophets, and the writings, Jesus is saying, not only do you not understand these three different occurrences, but by me quoting the law, the prophets, and the writings, you don't understand the Old Testament at all. You are in the dark on all of this. Beloved, we can read the Bible we can learn the Bible and not learn it at the same time. How many people spend years in church memorizing books of the Bible, but yet they don't even love their neighbor? How many people can talk about, how many husbands can talk about Ephesians 5 and be jerks to their wives? We can learn the Bible and also not learn the Bible at the same time. We've got to be careful because history tells us, you just survey world history. How many times has this book been twisted and abused to commit all kinds of evil? Husbands twisting this book to control their wives. Nazis twisting this book to murder millions. American pastors twisting this book to try to justify slavery. Pastors abusing this book to abuse people. People contorting verses to justify their own sins. Beloved, this is a dangerous book. And you must learn to handle it rightly and learn to live it. And so look at what Jesus does. Uh, the Pharisees ask, is this biblical? What's Jesus' response? He appeals to the Bible. Verse three, haven't you read? That's amazing that Jesus, his response, is it biblical? He appeals to the Bible. He could have just said, I'm the son of God. Yes, we're done. But he doesn't do that. He appeals to the Bible, showing us even Jesus' own psyche, he thinks Bible. Modeling for us, we need to think Bible. What's being done here? What does the Bible say? And he goes to the story of David. So the story, David and his friends are running for their lives and they're hungry and they make it to the temple. They're looking for food. They're, they're, they're hungry. They see the bread of the presence. This is very like holy bread reserved for the priests. David eats it. His friends eat it. And God doesn't condemn him. This is against the law. For Samuel, as writing this, Samuel, he doesn't condemn David in his commentary. So by Jesus alluding to the story of David eating what he's not allowed to eat, here's what Jesus is teaching us. God is more gracious than you think. God is more gracious than you think. There are laws, there are commands, and God also understands your life, situations, occurrences. Remember what Jesus said last week? Come to me, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm considerate, I'm kind, I'm merciful. Jesus is showing us in the Pharisees, God's more gracious than you think. 
He understands situations we're in. And this brings up all kinds of stuff that people love to argue about. Stuff like this. Um, ethical situations, ethical dilemmas. Uh, was it biblical for Corey Ten Boom to lie to the Nazi soldiers? She would lie to them about hiding Jewish men and women in her house. She lied to them. Is that right? You know what I think Jesus would say to that? He'd go biblical. Have you not read? By the time in Judges when Jael welcomed the evil Sisera into her tent and then drove a tent peg through his skull? It's an awesome story. Judges 4. <laughs> Judges chapter 4. We're going to do Judges after Matthew. It's awesome. Jesus would say, and have you not read about Rahab who hid two spies of Joshua in her house, protected them and lied to the king of Jericho? Haven't you read? Beloved, we've got to think Bible, read the Bible, learn to read the Bible and then learn to live what it says. That's where Jesus takes us next. Look at verse five when he says, or haven't you read in the law? that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent. I have never thought about this before until this week from, from Jesus. Who still works on the Sabbath, even though no one's supposed to work on the Sabbath? Priests, they're in the temple, carting the animals, moving the carcasses, draining blood, doing all of these things so people can meet with God. And Jesus says, you guys have no problem with the priests working. So you got no problem with them. Is it because it's in the temple? You got no problem with David. He ate that bread. Is it because it's in the temple? Look at what Jesus says next. Verse six, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. You think the temple okays what people do, Pharisees? Look at me. I'm even better than the temple. I'm greater than the temple. And then he adds on to it in verse seven. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. This is an amazing quote from the prophet Hosea. God wants mercy, not just the rigorous rule obeying. So listen, if you rigorously try to obey commands for personal holiness, but then refuse to love your neighbor or refuse to do good for others because it might interfere with your pursuit of holiness, you've misunderstood. Here's an example. My real life, probably yours too. You want to get up early and read your Bible tomorrow. You just, you, you felt resolved Sunday night. You know, I'm going to get up early before everyone else gets up. I'm going to put my, my Bible out. I'm going to put my little journal out and put my little devotional book out. I've already got my coffee ready. I just got to hit brew. It's done. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy God and his word at five o'clock in the morning. It's going to happen. You wake up, you get out there, you got it already, you got your coffee, you sit down, and then you hear a kid coming down the stairs. Can I have some cereal? Boy, get the pick in the stairs. What do you think I woke up at five to get you cereal? Get your own cereal, I'm reading the Bible. Or you're getting ready to open the Bible and you hear a baby, you hear your baby cry. And you know, oh, that's gonna be a blowout diaper. You just, you just know, that's the sound but your wife or your spouse, your husband just had just pulled the all night duty. And so now it's your turn. You just know it, but you think not me. I got up to read the Bible. I got up to meet with God. I got up to pursue Christ likeness. I'm not doing those things right now. I'm pursuing Christ. And Jesus would say, you want to pursue Christ? Then pour that cereal. You want to pursue Christ likeness? Then change that diaper. 
God doesn't want any kind of spirituality from us that skirts giving others mercy or that circles back loving others. God doesn't want us to have a biblical spirituality that doesn't love others because it doesn't exist. Rigorous rule following that doesn't love and extend mercy to others isn't real Christianity. So the Pharisees, they think there's a pass here. And Jesus chunks that gospel grenade by saying, I am greater than the temple. The Pharisees think the temple is the measuring stick for how to really honor God. And Jesus says, no, you want to know what the measuring stick is for really honoring God? Me. I'm greater than the temple. This is an amazing statement. This is the central hub for Jewish life. And Jesus says, you've misunderstood where the hub for Jewish life is, for where human life is. It's me. Somebody greater than the temple is here. So listen, beloved. Jesus is telling them, don't let the temple be your guide for true spirituality, true biblical living. Let it be me. And same for all of us in this room. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our key to understanding what real spiritual life is, what the biblical life is. It's not what our grandparents taught us. It's not what church tradition you grew up in. It's not even this church and and the things that we may do in church culture or the things that we do and say that 20, 15 years from now, we go, well, that was really dumb. It's always Jesus. That's why we just try to point each other to Jesus. He's our guide. He's our leader. He is someone that's greater than the temple. Someone that's, he's gonna say this two more times in this chapter. Someone that's greater than Jonah. The prophet that they thought was so amazing because he brought revival to Nineveh. Someone that's greater than Solomon, the wisest and second greatest king of all of Israel. Jesus says, I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than Jonah. I'm greater than Solomon. Look at me. Don't look anywhere else. I'm where you need to look. There will always be a debate who is the goat of basketball. Is it Jordan? Is it LeBron? And other names will pop up throughout history. Of course, it's natural. Who is the greatest of all time? The goat. And right here, in Christianity, in Judaism, in all matters of religion and spirituality and life, Jesus says, you want to know who the goat is? It's me. I'm who you need, not the temple, not Jonah, not Solomon, me. So listen, you don't need more mere reading of the Bible. You need reading of the Bible that leads you to Jesus. You don't even need mere church attendance. You need attendance on Sunday morning gatherings that will lead you and bring you to Jesus. You don't need more small group attendance. You don't need more spiritual checkboxing in your life. What you need are things that bring you to Jesus because someone greater than church on Sunday is here. Someone greater than just reading the Bible routinely is here. And it's Christ the Lord. And when you see it, when you learn to read and live the Bible rightly, what will invariably happen next is you will learn to love and do good. You'll learn to love and do good. Look at, look at the next part. After this argument ends with the, with the Pharisees, Jesus, verse nine, moves on from there and he entered their synagogue. This is a satellite teaching center of the temple. Just teaching goes on here. Then he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So there's this paralyzed guy in in front of the synagogue. And his hand is deformed. 
Maybe it's not fully grown. Um, maybe it's shortened. Maybe you've seen somebody, who, their hands, uh, just the muscles have atrophied and the skeletal structures kind of collapse on itself and can't do anything with his hand. That man's sitting there, probably begging, asking for money. And the Pharisees, being the punks that they are, point him out. It's the Sabbath. Hey, is it right to heal on the Sabbath? God like this? Is it right? Is this biblical to you, Jesus? Not supposed to work. Would you heal him? This poor man's already a spectacle to society. And they point him out to make a legalistic point. And Jesus gets super practical with them because they don't understand the Bible. They already proved they have thick skulls when it comes to understanding the scriptures. So Jesus says, well, let's get real. Let's paint a picture for real life. Verse 11, he replied to them, who among you? If had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out. A sheep's worth money. Let's translate it to us. Sabbath, day of rest. Your beloved family pet fell into a pit. Would you get it out? Some of the dads are thinking, no. <laughs> Finally. I'm with you. But your children... And your wife, like, get the dog, get the dog, leave the cat, get the dog, get him out. <laughs> you would do it. Imagine Jesus talks about this story again in, other, in the other gospels. Imagine a child falls into a pit. Your little boy falls into the pit. A Parks and Rec style pit. He's down in the pit. And dad, mom, help. Would you walk up to the pit and go, Sabbath, I, I don't know what you want me to do. I got to honor God. You shouldn't fell in. Hang on till sundown. When sundown comes, new day clicks over. Then I'll get you out of the pit, buddy. Here's some uh, crackers. No, you wouldn't do that. Jesus says, no, you'd get him out. And look at what he says, verse 12. A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good. It is biblical to do what is good on the Sabbath, on a day of rest. This man with a shriveled hand, what should Jesus say? What do you want me to do? Wait till tomorrow? You think God, you think my father wants me to wait and do good for others tomorrow? No. Jesus says, I'm doing good for him now. Look at verse 13. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. This is, I mean, you gotta think about this. This guy's hand's probably been deformed his whole life. And Jesus tells him, stretch it out. Jesus loves this man. And he stretched out his hand and it was restored. As good as the other. Do you remember what Jesus said last week? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I'll revive you. I'll restore you. I'll come for you. This man comes to Christ now. Jesus comes to him and says, I'll give rest to you. I'll restore your hand. And he does. He stretches out those broken cells, that muscular structure, those metacarpals and phalanges, and they're good as new. The law doesn't get in the way of loving others. Biblical Christianity never gets in the way of loving others. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount just a few chapters ago? Whatever you want others to do for you, do to them. This is the whole law and the prophets. Jesus says, you want to understand the whole Old Testament? Do for others what you would want done for you. You want to be healed? This is in Jesus' mind. I should heal this guy. You want to be helped? You should help others. That's why Jesus says in verse 12, it is 
lawful. It is biblical to do good on the day of rest. So listen, let's just bring it now to us today. If you want to know if you're misunderstanding the Bible, because the Pharisees have misunderstood the Bible. That's the contrast. They're misunderstanding what Jesus is understanding. They've misunderstood and misapplied the Bible and have wreaked havoc on Israel and wreaked havoc in their own lives. Here's how you can know if you have misunderstood the Bible. If it's not leading you to love others, if it's not helping you love others, you've misunderstood the Bible. Jesus just said in Matthew 7, the whole point is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're resting, it's the weekend, you're taking a break, I can't serve on Sundays, it's my day of rest. You don't understand the day of rest. You're taking a break from the weekly grind, you're enjoying family time, and then a brother or sister texts you, needs you. I'm having an emergency. I need counsel. And you ignore him. It's my day of rest. You don't understand the day of rest. Somebody texts you on family day. It's family day. Oh, I need help moving something. Can you come over? Ignore him. No. It's an emergency. Jesus says, look, if you're ignoring to do good for others because it's the Sabbath, you don't understand the point of Sabbath. Sure, we take a Sabbath. We, we can rest, but we don't take a Sabbath from being a Christian. Take a break from your job, from your emails, if you can. Those things, not, oh, I'm not a Christian today. No, we still love our neighbor as ourselves. We never take a break from those things. As Paul says in Galatians 6, do not grow weary of doing good. And this came face to face with me this summer. If you, you know, I had my sabbatical this summer, time of rest and rejuvenation. And one week on sabbatical, we went to a family camp. And at, fam at this family camp, there's all kinds of activities and stuff going on. And there was a Bible study. And the speaker opened it up after what, for a whole session to people to give marriage advice. Um, go around the room and everybody give marriage advice. And I thought, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to play on my phone and like, whatever. And it was just volunteer, but people were saying horribly stupid things. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I thought, I wish I had my headphones more like, this is crazy. And one guy's advice was, I think if you just get a nanny, it really helps your marriage. I'm like, that's not in the Bible. Are you going to pay for it? Like, I'll call you. I mean, what would you do? What are we doing? And some more horrible advice is being given. And Natalie leans over and says, hey, you need to say something. I waved her off. I'm on sabbatical. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> and so she hits me. You, you have got to say something to help these people. I can't. I don't want to. And I was half joking. And I could feel the selfish impulse of my flesh. I don't want to be Pastor Jeff right now. I just want to be a normal person. Like, pastor's not a, on my birth certificate. I just want to be me. But I'm still a Christian. I still know what this book says. I know it doesn't say get a nanny in here. I know some of the advice they're giving. They may have read it in a book about Mars and Venus, but that's not Christianity. So we have to speak up. 
It is lawful to say something true and helpful on the Sabbath. Because listen, we can get so caught up in our own lives and pursuing Christ's likeness that we forget that loving others is exactly a part of it. Loving and serving others are not detours from the pursuit. They are it. So any understanding of the Bible that limits doing good for others is a misunderstanding. We must learn to read the Bible rightly, learn to live it, learn to do good for others. Not only is it biblical, it's expected. And to not to do good is to do evil, is to be a Pharisee. Did you see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees when we read this? Look at verse 14, this is unbelievable. Verse 14, so after Jesus healed this guy, made his other hand as good as the other, but verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Do you see what we've read? The Pharisees go nuts if someone's dragging furniture or healing a man on the Sabbath, but apparently it's okay to plan a homicide. <laughs> you see the hypocrisy that happens when we misinterpret and misapply the Bible? We jump all over other people's lives and their cases and turn a blind eye to our own. So what Jesus said again in Matthew 7, don't judge your brother harshly unless you want to be judged too. First, take the plank out of your own eye so then you can deal with your brother's speck. Jesus is healing and loving people on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are planning how to kill him. We got to be careful of this in our lives too. Judging others harshly while behind closed doors, we plan all kinds of evil, commit all kinds of hypocrisy. What I love about Jesus is he won't be stopped by bad religion. Look at verse 15. So Jesus, aware of this, that they wanted to kill him, and he withdrew. Large crowds followed him, and he decided not to heal them because he was worried what the Pharisees might think. No, that's not what the Bible says. So you should always follow along with me. <laughs> always follow along. No, he, he, he doesn't care what the Pharisees think. He sees the large crowds followed him and he healed them all. You got a problem with this one Pharisee? Ooh, check this out. I'm gonna heal everybody. <laughs> because I will not be derailed by bad religion. And neither should you. You're gonna see all kinds of bad religion in your life. Don't let bad religion ruin your taste for Jesus. You ever had bad eggs? I have. I've had some eggs that were so salty, our dog wouldn't even eat them. That made me go, I'm never eating eggs again. No, you eat eggs again. So you come across a bad Christian, a dumb Christian, a mean Christian. Don't let that ruin you off the real thing. There are a lot of dumb churches in our community. There are a lot of dumb Christians in our community. There's a lot of them in here. There's one on stage. We are all going to do things that are not up to par. And we're, we'll be dumb Christians again. But Jesus is always good. And Jesus will always lead us in the right direction. And Jesus will always welcome us back to himself. And Jesus will always restore us. Jesus will always lead us. Jesus will always love us. That's why not only when we learn to read the Bible rightly and love one another and do what it says, we will also, as we read the Bible rightly and learn it rightly, we'll learn about the Lord. 
We'll learn about him. That's what Matthew finishes with today. He injects this beautiful quote from Isaiah, kind of bringing a resolution to this encounter, the kindness of Jesus on display, illustrated in Matthew 11, animated in Matthew 12. And we learn about Jesus when he says, this from Isaiah, the father saying, here's my servant, the son, whom I have chosen, my beloved. I mean, the father loves the son. My beloved in whom I delight I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. This is Jesus. Now look at verse 19. He will not argue or shout. He's not looking for fights. Jesus is not a spiritual street fighter. He's not looking for that. They come looking for him. And he applies the scriptures, appeals to biblical thinking. And look at verse 20. This is the kindness of Jesus, the man with the shriveled hand, this encounter. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. This is the kindness of Christ. This seems so weird to us because we, we don't see these kinds of things, but think about a broken stick. You're, you're hiking, walking with your kids through a field, whatever, and you see a broken stick over there, just a little twig and snapped a little. What do we do instinctively? We walk by, just kick it. We don't care about it. You're walking and you see a branch, kind of got a little snap. You walk by, you just finish it off. Isaiah says, Jesus is not like that though. He walks by a bunch of broken sticks and he doesn't think, finish that off. He thinks, I can restore that. You and I are a bunch of broken sticks, bruised reeds. This is a reed was a very straight, straight line that they would use to write, make straight lines, measure. And if it gets a little bruised, a little bend, oh, it's trash, chunk it. Jesus, he doesn't see us bunch of bruised reeds, a bunch of bruised bananas. He doesn't think, chunk it. He thinks, I'll buy that. I'll save that. That's why he also says, a smoldering wick he will not put out. You have that candle in your house where it is at the end of its wax. It has nothing left. And what? It just gives off smoke, 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 smoke. And what do we do? Oh, I love that. No. Chunk it. Get that new leather candle. Let's go. Toss that one out. Jesus sees a smoldering wick and he says, I can restore that. I can can fix this. He does not toss us in the cosmic dustbin of the universe. He looks at us, broken reeds, smoldering wicks, slithering in here Sunday after Sunday, and he says, I can restore you. Just like the man with the shriveled hand and just like you with your shriveled soul, your deformed life, stretch it out. Stretch it out. And I will save you. I will redeem your life. You matter to me. That's what Jesus is telling us. You matter to me. Whether it's fishermen eating grain on the Sabbath, a man with a shriveled hand, or or a college student who can't kick his addiction, or a mom who worries that she's not contributing enough, or a dad who thinks, I'm just a spiritual loser. Or to singles who wonder if there'll ever be enough for someone. Jesus says, you matter to me. Look to my cross. I love you. Look to my empty tomb. I'm not going to end you. I'm not going to snuff you out. I was snuffed out for you. I was killed for you. And I rose for you. I can lead you to victory. He will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. Victory is yours in Christ. 
I'll lead you home. So verse 21 says, the nations will put their hope in his name. You and all the nations put in their hope in Christ. This is the Great Commission. This is a little snapshot of the whole gospel of Matthew right here. Have you put your hope in his name? Right now, your confidence, your steadiness in life, is it in Jesus? The one crucified and raised from the dead for your sins, is it in him or is it in what you think you can accomplish, how you're gonna live, how you're gonna operate in this world? Jesus says, put your hope in me and you will not be disappointed and you will find rest for your souls. Beloved, learn to read your Bible. Learn to read toward Jesus and learn to love. That's the real biblical life. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us now. We can be so easily distracted and we can wonder, should we do this? Should we do that? Is this how you want us to live? Is this how you want us to act? We need to go to you, Jesus. Someone greater than John MacArthur is here. Someone greater than John Piper is here. Someone greater than Jen Wilkin is here. Someone greater than everyone in this room is here. You are our guide, Jesus. Help us to look to you. May you be our guide for the biblical life, your cross, your humility, your death, your resurrection, your new life, your promises now. So meet us now, Jesus. And we will find rest for our souls. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today or you're in the band, I invite you to come forward now at this time. As we go to the Lord's table, we do this every week in remembrance of Christ. And here's what I want you to do, is to learn. Learn how to read the Lord's Supper rightly. As you hold that piece of bread, read it as Christ's body being sacrificed for you for your sins. Read, read the moment, read the room. And as you hold that cup, reminding you of Jesus's blood, learn it, read it rightly and love it. That Christ died for my sins in accordance with the scriptures so I may be saved. And then eat it. And then watch, a room of people are eating it, showing you these are the people to love and these are the ones who love you and these are the ones that we love Christ and his world together. Learn to read the Lord's Supper rightly. And let's do this in remembrance of him. If you're not a Christian, I'm thrilled that you're here. But I want you to know this part of the service is only for those who know Jesus is their Lord, who have learned of Christ. And if you haven't, you can believe in him today. Jesus welcomes you into his kingdom. You just have to turn from your sins and put all of your trust and your hope in him. And he will forgive you. He will save you. And once you believe, you can join us and eat and drink together. If you are a Christian, grab one set of the cups. Bread is on bottom, juice is on top. I'll come back up and we'll eat and drink together. So let's worship and let's enjoy and let's learn and love of Christ together. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.